electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks a lot. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, another big pullback in yields as more Fed speak moves the market. So what's in store for your money as we begin to close out in November to remember? Our investing committee is standing by to break it all down. Joining us for the hour here at Post 9, we do have a full house. Joe Terranova, Carrie Firestone, Sarah Seppi, and Steve Weiss. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now. With markets off their highs of earlier today, you can see the Dow's up fractionally. Similar story for the S&P. The Nasdaq, similar story. The big thing that we're looking at right now is yields. Right now at 4.30. Just a short time ago, they were actually below on the 10-year, that yield below 4.30. Also want to highlight the Russell, the best performer today, up just about 1% as we see those yields decline. And really, I think that's where we have to start this conversation. Joe, you're right here to my left. The movement in yields and some of the Fed speak that was the catalyst for that move, obviously uh, earlier, given a, a bigger boost to the market, has kind of declined right now. What's your thought on what we're hearing? And again, we're going to have Steve Leisman join us in just a minute. Yields are the story. Uh, Ten years was below four and a quarter. Uh, it highlights the value right now that's in the fixed income market. Um, clearly, over the last several d- days, equities are responding to what we're seeing in yields. However, I will point out this morning, the equity market reversal from where it was earlier is a little bit troublesome, just from the standpoint of if you're of the belief that at the end of the month, we're going to see a significant surge higher. The appearance is the way we're trading today, markets seem to be a little bit overbought and a little bit tired from a significant November run. Last point on that would be the Russell. The Russell should have broken out more significantly than it did earlier this morning. It appears as though there's an apparent rejection for some overhead resistance. And again, we need to broaden out the rally beyond just the Magnificent Seven if, in fact, the months, the weeks of December are going to be strong, similar to what we had in November. Just to clarify, move higher. You're talking yields or equities? Equities. Okay. Talking equities, yields, I believe, the path continues to be lower for yields. I think the environment overall is suggestive of that. All right, Carrie, what's your take again? Uh, Ten-year right now at 4.30 earlier, as Joe mentioned, dipped down to about four and a quarter. Yeah, well, this whole move with yields is, of course, what's driving the market. And as long as inflation keeps coming down, this is all tied to inflation, you would expect that the Fed is going to say at a certain point, okay, we should lower rates. And that's what the market is anticipating. There was a small percent of people who thought that rates might be might come down six months from now or nine from now there are many more people who believe that to be true and think about it since october 27th which was the low recent low of the market the market has gone up s&p 11 percent and many stocks have gone up 20 percent stocks like american express blackstone s&p global adobe those are names we own all have surged they're all related in some
some way to interest rates and being part of the growth universe. You know, Carrie, you said something right there. As long as inflation continues to go down, I think that was the key phrase you, you said right there. And speaking of the Fed and inflation, let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. He spoke with Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin earlier today at CNBC CFO Summit. Steve, what are you hearing? What did, was your, what did you make of what you heard? More important. Well, I think what he said, uh, uh, Frank, that's important. He spoke, by the way, exclusively at CNBC's uh, CFO Council. He's throwing some cold water on the optimistic outlook for Fed rate cuts next year that really captured the market's imagination yesterday. Barkin's saying, hey, that could be the case, but he's not so sure about that. That talks about rate cuts are premature, and he would not take another rate cut off the table. There's no particular need to do anything with interest rates if inflation is coming down. But if inflation is going to flare back up, I think you want to have the option of doing more on rates. Barkin's concerned that companies are still in the mode of raising prices and the outlook for inflation is not going to be a straight line. Could prove to be more stubborn than markets expect. Uh, now, that was a bit of a contrast from yesterday when probabilities for Fed rate cuts in the spring surged after Fed Governor Waller said he was more confident the Fed was in the right place and acknowledged that if inflation does fall, the Fed could be cutting rates. Well, Barkin's comments had little impact on that optimistic outlook. Probabilities for rate cuts, 44 percent in March. That's even a bit higher today. So is the one for 78% chance of a cut in May and 93% chance by June, which means all but certain as far as the market's concerned. But Barkin's comments show, hey, there are different camps in the Fed we need to pay attention to. There's those who are more certain inflation is going to come down and those who are a little bit more wary guys of declaring premature victory. Frank? Steve, before I let you go, I, I do want to talk about one thing. Again, you had an exclusive conversation with Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin at CNBC's CFO Council Summit down there in D.C. One of the things that he said, markets have a different forecast of rate cuts than he does. And then, of course, we have Bill Ackman come out uh, via X, Twitter, whatever we want to call it right now, saying he believes there's a cut in Q1. Um, I don't know if you had any on-the-record or off-the-record talks with him or off-stage talks with him. Is that kind of what he's responding to? Is that the market voices that he's talking about? I think more, well, more the rate, the rate pricing, by the way. And I think what Barkin's saying is, hey, it's a market out there. Frank, you are free. Everybody around your table, even Steve Weiss is free to have his own inflation forecast. And I think one of the things that's interesting here is there's no disagreement about how the Fed should react if inflation reacts in a certain way. The disagreement is over the trajectory of inflation. If you think inflation is going to be a straight line down month after month, down, 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 so the Fed can be confident it's 2%, yeah, go ahead, have at it, have a wonderful day, and start banking in cuts and whatever the stock market is going to do and react to that. But if you think, as Barkin is cautioning you, it's a little more bumpy on the way down, going to be a little harder, take a little longer for the Fed to feel confident, well, then you dial in a different Fed reaction, and you dial in a different reaction of the stock market. All right, Steve, stick with us just for a minute. Surat, I want to come over to you. We haven't had a chance to talk to you. What did you make of what we heard from Barkin? So interesting. And I listened to Barkin's interview this morning, too. I mean, what he was stressing was, hey, we had an environment where you have price you have the ability to raise prices still. It's not that people who are selling things are cutting prices because they want to sell more goods. They are still able to raise prices. So I think it makes sense to be cautious that we're not going to be cutting rates right away, but to watch it. But if the data confirms what we're seeing with the tenure, then I think that the Fed could follow it. But I don't think they want to lead it. They want to actually see the data first and then follow. Yeah, uh, keep in mind, we do have PCE coming out tomorrow. Hey. Uh, Weiss, oh, sorry, Steve. Frank. Yeah. 
I just want to weigh in on what Surratt said, because he picked on something that's really unique about Barkin. He's a former CFO, not really an economist, but comes at it from this standpoint of looking at the culture of raising prices within companies. And Surratt has it just right. Before 2019, if the uh, supplier came to you with a 5% price increase, you'd slap him around and say, you know what, go back and get me another price. Post-pandemic, that was not the case. And right now, what Barkin is watching is this culture within companies of how are price increases being treated. And what I said earlier in my report, what I'm saying now is it still seems like some price increases are being accepted and passed along. And that's why he remains wary of inflation. Yeah, very important point, Steve. Uh, Steve Weiss, I'm going to come over to you. What did you make of what Barkin had to say? Well, first of all, I want to thank Steve for freeing me from my normally reserved and milquetoast approach on this show to commentary. Um, in, in terms of what Barkin said, look, there, there's Fed speak, you know, they position it differently. The facts are they're never going to come out and say, we're going to cut rates at this time. They're always going to say we're data dependent. They may have a different way of expressing their view, as Steve has repeatedly relayed to us and shown us through his great interviews. Uh, it's uh, there's a race going on and the race that's going on is the economy going to be able to stay at the level it's at before rates really start to hit them. And the, the other part of that race is, will it stay afloat until the Fed starts cutting? I think mid next year is a reasonable approach. Bill Ackman, a great investor, called the top just about perfectly. The biggest risk for him is that he's early. Great investors are typically early because they've got to go someplace where others aren't seeing it yet. So I think he'll be early in a first quarter rate cut. All right. So, Steve, you mentioned something about the economy saying stable, strong right now. Joe, I, know I want to come to you. But first, I want to go over to some other comments we got from uh, Jamie Dimon at the Deal Book Summit. He said, in part, we're not going to show a quote or, or uh, play a, a sound bite, but he said, be prepared. Rates may go up. Uh, the tenure specifically, that might lead to a recession. And he believes that the odds are higher than other people believe that we're going to have a uh, a recession. As you can see right here, actually, we do have the quote. So I misspoke there. <laughs> Joe, I, I want to come over to you. I think everyone obviously has their own personal opinion about how deep an economic contraction ultimately could be in 2024. I think we could all agree that the, the trajectory for economic growth is certainly going to be lower from what was reported in Q3. I really believe what's important for markets is the communication tool on whatever the policy is going to be. And we've reached a point now where the Federal Reserve has paused on raising interest rates. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, the data suggests that they need to go back and do another rate hike. I believe markets need one meeting of what I would call a communication meeting, a meeting in which they telegraph to markets that at the next meeting, if there's consistency in the data suggesting that they need to raise rates again, that is in fact what they will do, not where they're going to come and surprise the market at a meeting where they're just raising rates. And I think the same can be said as far as cutting rates, right. similar to what they did in January of 2019 when they did a dramatic pivot from the policy of 2018. Chairman Powell came out in the first days of uh, 2019 and basically told everyone, go buy risk assets because we're going to be cutting rates. The communication tool is powerful. They need to be unified in whatever the communication is. I don't believe they are right now. And they need to be utilizing that tool not to surprise markets. But let me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, try this on you and Steve, your perspective. Steve's still with us? Yeah, his, his perspective on this is that the Fed has been saying rates can be higher for longer. 
and that the cycle's ne definitely not done. The market has chosen to ignore that. Yeah, they've ignored that. They've ignored that going forward. They've ignored it with stocks, not broadly. We're seeing the rally start to spread, but basically yeah. the tech stocks. So maybe they do need to send that message. I don't think GDP, surprising to the upside today, even though it's backward looking, was a good thing for Fed policy going forward, meaning I don't think it gets them any closer to cutting. I think it gets them further away. But there's, the inconsistency. Right. Right. Okay. there's inconsistency in the messaging. Yeah. What did I hear no, yesterday no, from Waller? There, there always is. There always no, but is. there can't be at this right. point. Right. There, there, needs, there needs to be. Joe, Joe's point is spot on, right? The signaling needs to be all together. And right now you're getting different signals, okay. which basically tells you that they're not going to do anything for a while. So the market is deciding where rates are going to go. Isn't that a message in itself, though? Okay. Um, give us a second, guys. Steve Leisman, thank you very much again. Exclusive uh, interview with Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin. Now I want to go over to Dom Chu. He has some breaking news in the healthcare space. Dom, over to you. Specifically, Frank, with regard to health insurance, it's Cigna and Humana. Those shares are on the move. As you can see, we're going to flash you the quotes right now. This is all on headlines coming out of the Wall Street Journal that are that is basically saying and reporting that Cigna and Humana are both in a possible merger or talks for a possible merger that could create a massive behemoth when it comes to health insurance in America. Uh, the companies are discussing, says the journal, a stock and cash deal that could be finalized by the end of the year. So in the coming weeks, assuming the talks don't fall apart, this is again a source reporting according to people familiar with the matter. But again, we're talking about two health insurers with regard to Cigna, roughly 80 some billion dollars in size versus Humana, which is roughly 62 billion dollars in size. Again, if you combine those two companies, what they're trying to find is some kind of scale and it would help them better position themselves to at least compete against probably what you could say is the 800 pound gorilla in the room, which is United Healthcare, which is roughly half a trillion dollars in terms of market cap overall. So Humana shares right now on the move higher, just fractionally by about three quarters of 1%. Meanwhile, you're seeing declines here for what's happening with Cigna. We'll keep an eye. We'll reach out to these companies for any kind of comment with regard to the story. But again, this is a journal story, source reporting that Cigna and Humana could be in talks for a possible stock and cash merger that could be finalized by year end, contingent on all kinds of different variables. So, Frank, we'll keep an eye on those stocks. I'll send things back over to you. You are Dom Chu at uh, Inglewood Cliffs, CNBC headquarters again. Uh, sources telling the Wall Street Journal that Humana and Cigna are considering a merger. And that just kind of leads us to one of our moves of the day. Steve Weiss, you actually recently bought Humana. Well, I owned Humana, and the stock was down 11 today. And I assume it's based upon what's coming out of UNH Investor Day. So I, I really loaded up on a trading position. 11 bucks isn't a big move for $500 stock, but... Dom just made my day. I mean, this is just great news. Uh, this trade, and I actually, while he was talking, I sold part of that trading position. Uh, look, this is going to take a long time to get through. Um, you know, if the, at all. Look, the FTC, right. exactly. They're not going to be in favor of this. I don't know who's going to be in favor of it. Number one. Number two, given the size of these companies, it may turn out to be a merger of equals. Although I do think there's a possibility to pay a 300% premium. No, I'm, I'm only kidding about that. I'm just, <laughs> you know, you know, but, but, but let, me, uh, let me jump in for a second. We were already planning to talk healthcare. United Health having its investor day today. Carrie, I want to come over to you. What's your view on the possibility of this merger? Um, Don mentioned it would be a merger to try to get some uh, scale here right. and create some efficiencies with these two businesses. So we own United Health, and the stock had been underperforming 
to large extent because people have been worried across so many sectors about how the GLP-1 diet drugs are affecting the use of of, uh, of healthcare. Even though you know that's a very small part of their business, obviously, um, does it matter enough to them that they have competition? They have competition in every market. There are um, multiple players in this business, and there are also kind of the state players like the Blue Cross, Blue Shields, and in every market. Do we think this is great for UNH? I, I don't think it would be great for them. Is it going to matter a lot? I, I don't think so, because these two are big, yes. Are they going to be bigger than UNH? No, they're not. But, but, but when you say it's not going to matter, what do you mean? No, it will, of course it, it matters, okay. but will their earnings continue to grow? Yes, because it's not as if Cigna and Human are going to price so low that everybody is going to go to them. They'll probably price well, higher. That, that's, that's, that's the issue. It helps the, the government's actually going to look at this and say, wait a second, now you're going to have less players, yeah. bigger players. Right. What's going to stop pricing from going down? Right. It's just pricing going up double digits a year. So I think this the market's kind of telling you, hey, wait a second. We're not that excited right now. So we'll yeah. see what happens. But, but let's let's look at United for a second with okay. the weight loss drugs. Short term, maybe it's a negative because the drugs are expensive. But longer term, the government has been very clear. They want Medicare. They want Medicaid. And eventually primary care will do this, too, goes to a capitated model, a risk model, which means that you're going to get paid, and they're doing this in Medicare and Medicaid now, you get paid per patient, and it's up to you to control that patient's use of the system. So if you reduce the obesity, you reduce diabetics, you reduce heart disease, that's all going to be great for margins at UNH. So if you take a long-term look, it could not be better news than that. Market's trying to come to grips with it. All right, so again, Cigna Humana considering uh, a possible merger. It'll be a stock and cash deal. We'll continue to watch these stocks. Um, also want to go to something else. More moves by you, Weiss. Uh, you just bought into the triple Q ETF, the NASDAQ 100. Give us a sense why now. Well, I, I've been gone for a week and a half uh, traveling. Um, and I, I only came back because <laughs> so I knew you were hosting the show instead of Scott. <laughs> but uh, so I had bought the Qs. I do think there's a good chance for a year-end rally. My positions are relatively concentrated. I don't have to run a, a very diverse portfolio uh, because that's just not my style. That's not what I do. And I do have a lot of still exposure in treasuries and other fixed income, even though I've started to sell those. So, look, I do think there'll be a year-end rally. And right now, we're sort of in a no-news time. We're sure we'll have inflation numbers coming out. But when you see where the rates are projected to be, the cut in June, people are just going to look forward to that. So that's why I think we're going to do it. It could be a rocky rally, right. not like typical year-end. But that's why I have it. It's not a big position in queues. It's to round up some exposure and be more exposed to the market. You know, let's talk a little bit more broadly about tech right now. Obviously, we have some earnings from Intuit and CrowdStrike. Um, two pretty high valuation companies. I see you shaking your head, Joe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we should be talking about CrowdStrike. That was an absolutely fantastic response to a quarter that, that some have looked at the quarter and said, okay, there's really, this quarter is about operational efficiency from, from the company more than anything else. A record operating margins, the company basically hit on all marks. Kudos to the CEO and the management team, a phenomenal job. Now, if you don't own the stock, are you chasing the stock up here at $235 plus? Understand, a lot of people like myself, you had the chance to buy this stock in the low 100s. Um, and, and that was obviously a great entry point. So I don't know if you're chasing the stock up here. Maybe you're waiting for a little bit of a pullback. But for myself personally, I'm maintaining the position 
in CrowdStrike, in Palo Alto, because I have said this is a long-term thesis that I want to apply as it relates to cybersecurity. And both Palo Alto and CrowdStrike have rewarded me with very strong operational efficiency. And that's how I would define this. I mean, you certainly get rewarded today. Shares up almost 10%. I do want to ask you about valuation, 79 times forward earnings. Okay, you know, we've had the valuation conversation uh, at length on the show over the last several weeks. And I I think you know me well enough to know that I never look at valuation as the North Star in terms of where I believe price is ultimately going. Um, I tend to look at momentum as it relates to the technicals of a company and the fundamentals of a company. So I like what I saw fundamentally from this company. One could say that this is a richly valued company. Okay, I'll acknowledge that. I but a richly valued company could be an even richer right. valued company over the course of time. And, and that just is the way markets trade. And you tend to pre- pay the premium, right? We think back uh, to, to obviously Warren Buffett, and we've heard so much with the unfortunate passing of Charlie Munger in the last 24 hours. But Charlie Munger would say, you want to pay a premium for a really good business. And this is really good business. So, so you pay the premium for it. So I'm not afraid of valuation. You're getting some affirmative signs from Kerry and Weiss, but Sarat, I see you kind of looked out the side of your eye when he well, said that. Not affirmative that I agree, affirmative that it's a very, very Different high Different styles price. and strategies. <laughs> well, it's exactly. It's no, no, I, I respect what Joe's doing. He's got a momentum strategy. And that's the right There's way a buck coming up. No, a no. For, for, for what I do is different. It's a diversified portfolio. Yeah. And I do have momentum stocks in there. I don't have those two, but those are very good companies. And he's right. In that space, those are the ones you want to own, and you play the momentum. And Joe, Joe will tell you when he's wrong, too. So it's not like he's sitting there saying, I'm right all the time. I'm like somebody else we know. But, you know, I think we got to respect that. All right, we got one other earnings mover to talk about uh, while we're talking <laughs> earnings movers into it right now. Those shares up, uh, they were up about 3% earlier. Yep, now about 3.5% right now. Um, Strong earnings, Q2 EPS guidance, that was above estimates. Um, Obviously a very broad portfolio when we talk about into it, a lot of consumer exposure. Joe, what'd you make of this quarter? Small business segment performed well. The company was not as confident in that guidance as I expected them to be. I'm not going to speak as glowingly about into it as I am about CrowdStrike because cybersecurity is obviously something I believe over the long term. So Carrie, you can make the argument into it is richly valued. And in fact, chart. in fact, it's a good, it's a really great looking, looking chart. Okay. And that's probably one of the reasons why we own this uh, in the strategy is because the momentum is there. It's present. Last point on Intuit. Let's remember an economic slowdown quickly deteriorates the fundamentals of this company. So keep that in mind. Wouldn't chase Intuit here. So don't even want to mention 35 times forward earnings. Not, not something you're focused on here. No. All right, there we go. We have companies in single digits. That doesn't get me excited. <laughs> well, speaking of great charts, coming up, we got our chart of the day. It's the it's General Motors shareholder Jim Labenthal. He's been sticking with this name during a pretty volatile year. He's going to join us with his reaction coming up. Halftime back in just a couple minutes. General Motors shares up almost 10%. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? 
or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Halftime. Let's get to our chart of the day. It is General Motors shares surging up just about 10%. After announcing a $10 billion buyback, Jim Labenthal joins us now to break down the move. A special guest appearance to celebrate, I think. Jim, great to have you. Shoot, Frank, I, I got to leave for a minute. You, you got to step out? Yeah, twice. I got to step out. I tell you what, just, just walk off time. Don't worry about it. He's not, he's this not coming back This is the farmer's the time. The he's trying to steal the show here, Jim. You just go ahead. I know, Frank. You got you to gotta corral these yahoos. Um, thanks for having me on. I think I kind of earned it after the uh, beat down from Scott and Josh yesterday. By the way, why isn't Scott calling in? I feel like he should after yesterday, but I'll take that up with the judge separately. Look, really good news from General Motors here. And and the two things that we're seeing here are, number one, there's an awful lot of cash flow generation at this company. That's why they're able to buy back 25% of the shares outstanding at current valuations. That's the 10 billion share buyback that I'm talking about. Um, but the other thing is good management decisions here, okay? Electric vehicles are piling up in terms of inventory on dealer lots. So they're stepping back on the EV build out and they're stepping back on the autonomous vehicle uh, rollout. That's the cruise division, which has run into some operational problems recently. And I like both of these decisions because management is not giving up on those two divisions, but they're recognizing that these are a big money drain right now that's hiding the overall earnings power of the internal combustion engine business. Frank, if I can say just one more thing, you know, yesterday the, the topic uh, was Mr. Jonas, uh, the analyst at Morgan Stanley, and his comments about the next year being make or break uh, for, for the uh, industry, for the traditional legacy industry. One of the things he pointed out was he feels that R&D spending is too high, research and development. I just want to point out that if you take the average net income for General Motors last decade, it was about six and a half million. For the last three years, including this year's guidance at the midpoint, those numbers are now well over $9 billion. So the R&D spending is paying off. You're seeing net income 50% higher over the last three years and likely going higher from there, 50% higher than in the prior decade. And look at that price-to-earnings ratio. Below five, got to be kidding me. I'm glad they're buying back a quarter of the company at a five times price-to-earnings multiple. Uh, give us a sense. They actually boosted the dividend as well. Following this UAW contract, you mentioned the free cash flow generation. Is that giving you more confidence in this company? Uh, it has. And look, the, the, the resolution of the UAW strike was positive for everybody. The workers got a raise that they very much deserve. It's a substantial raise, but because of the profit generation at this company, they can cover those cost increases with cost cuts elsewhere, as well as what's likely to happen over the duration of this contract in that they're likely to raise prices for new cars more than enough to offset uh, those increased labor costs. Um, ultimately, okay. what you've got here is the demand is being driven by the average age of cars on the road being 12 and a half years. That's just too long. Cars don't last that long. People need new cars. GM is building them. Uh, labor is under control for the next four years. This is a very good time to be getting into GM stock. Right. Hey, Jimmy, it's Joe. Real quick, 
I call this financial engineering, and it's great. It, 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 it got the stock to move higher, and I applaud management for what they're doing here. But as a shareholder yourself or someone that wants to buy the shares, what comes next for the company? What's the next catalyst? Because I've heard for years that the catalyst could be the pivot towards electric vehicles. It seems as though demand is waning there. Explain to us what the path forward is for the company after the financial engineering. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Joe. And, and let me answer the second part of it first, which is that the pivot is back to where the money, where the earnings and cash flow are coming from. Internal combustion engines, sell those Silverado trucks, sell those Cadillac Escalades, sell those Chevy Equinoxes, because you know what? They make money for the company and there's demand for them. Um, the first part of your question is interesting. You know, I think we've been trained to use the term financial engineering as a pejorative. I don't think that's how you're using it. And I, I don't take it that way because this stock is just too cheap. And if I say it's too cheap, then that has to be backed up by the company doing exactly what it is doing, which is a major share repurchase, as well as the dividend increase. So as much as financial engineering is looked at as a negative, in this case, it was necessary and appropriate and good for shareholders. All right, GM also reinstating its guidance. Farmer Jim, take a bow. GM shares up 10%. You stuck with it. Uh, I want to come back. Thank to you. Warren and and uh, strong head nod to Surratt, who's in there with me. I love his support. Yeah. Natural transition over to you, Surratt. He gave yeah. you the strong head nod. I mean, listen, Jim has been t getting attacked on this stock by our buddies on my left and everybody else. But look, at the end of the day, what did they do, right? What they basically, we go back to the word signal, they signal to the market that we have a balance sheet that's strong, we can buy back our shares, we can increase our dividends, and we'll focus on what makes us money. We're pushing off what some of the high capex is gonna be, so your ROI is gonna be pretty high, and you've got four years now. You've got some, you, you actually have leg room to move because you got wages under control. Now, will this be a five-year investment? I don't think so. This is going to be more of a one to two year investment, but where I think the stock's going to do well, but but it's not going to be in one of Joe's momentum stocks. It's going to be, listen, you get a multiple expansion of seven, you're going to make 25% of the stock. All right. Leave it there. Again, GM shares up about 10% after increasing the dividend and also reinstating <coughs> guidance. Let's now get the headlines with our Contessa Brewer. Contessa. Frank, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promised Israel will return to fighting after hostage negotiations are finished with Hamas. He made a speech via video today, even as talks continue, trying to extend the temporary truce in Gaza for two more days, according to an NBC News source. Netanyahu added that his entire cabinet stands behind that policy. The Education Department launched an investigation into claims of anti-Semitism on Harvard University's campus. A complaint's been filed accusing Harvard of discriminating against Israeli and Jewish students when it failed to respond to alleged incidents of harassment last month, according to a letter seen by the Boston Globe. The DOE is also investigating six other colleges and universities and a local school district over similar claims. And Spotify announced today Taylor Swift has dethroned Bad Bunny as the most played artist on the streaming service in 2023. Look, everywhere around me, heads are turning right now. I said Taylor Swift and it's like I get all the attention. Bad Bunny held the title for the past three years, so it was really time for him to just step aside. Spotify says Swift raked in more than 26 billion streams since January 1st. You know what I really should have said, Frank? Bad Bunny should just shake it off. 
<laughs> that was actually a good one. Thanks. Our Contessa Brewer, always great to see you. I, I love the Taylor Swift reference right there. Have a great day. Okay. All right, coming up here on Halftime, another big mover today, Philip 66, activist investor Elliot taking aim. Joe owns this one. We're going to get his take ahead, plus more moves in the commodity space. We're going to break all of it down next. Halftime, we'll be right back. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime Report. We are watching shares of Phillips 66. Elliott Management taking a $1 billion stake in that company, seeking to add two new directors to its board. Elliott said in a letter that Phillips has lost focus on its refining segment and is underperforming Marathon Petroleum and Valero as a consequence. Shares right now, you can see they're up just almost 3.5%. Joe, you own this one. So let's let's understand something. When, when Elliott steps in, uh, and Paul Singer is trying to affect chains, uh, you have to raise your awareness because he's got a very successful track record of doing just that, in particular in the energy industry. You mentioned Marathon Petroleum in 2019. He stepped in. He was able to affect significant change. In fact, ultimately, the CEO, who was there for 45 years, stepped away. So what, what they're targeting here is the fact that in 2022 and 2023, when we saw the significant spike in refined products, the criticism is that Philip 66 kind of pivoted away from what their core business was, which was refining. They moved towards natural gas, petrochemicals, liquid fuels. Elliott now wants to kind of reposition them. They believe they could take this uh, valuation for the company up by 75%. That's what they they measure, I think they're going to need a little help from the oil markets themselves appreciating in price. Uh, but this is something to pay attention to. And by the way, last point on all of this for this year, Phillips 66 is actually performing relatively well so far year to date. It's up 13%. I believe that's the fifth best performance uh, for an S&P energy company. You know, I mentioned Marathon, but actually Elliott mentioned Marathon. They were an activist investor in that company back in 2019. Uh, basically led uh, people that read the letter to say they're going to follow a similar playbook. So does that give you confidence? Do you want to add to your position with the idea that Elliott's involved? Well, it's it's not a position that we can be adding to. We go quarter to quarter. Okay. We take the position and we go from there. But I'm, I'm comfortable with the positioning. And the fact that Elliott is present here doesn't concern me at all. I actually think it's a good thing. All right. Again, shares up almost three and a half percent. We've got a few more committee moves. We're going to stay in the commodity space. Weiss, you brought more Freepoint Macmoran. I did. I believe Surratt's here as well. I, I know. I we're in yesterday. agreement. So. Yeah. Um, you had nothing to do with my purchase, by the way. <laughs> the, the zero. Um, uh, look, it, it's undeniable that 
you need more copper for what's happening with autos, with EVs, et cetera. It's been kind of puzzling despite the ramp. And the ramp's been more talked about than actually occurring. Uh, that copper is not higher. But I think at this point, it traded down and now it's moving up. It's still where it was about five years ago. Uh, so I would expect it finally to catch to catch a bit. Um, I traded out at Freeport at high prices. I bought it, down, bought it back at lower prices. And for me, it's also a hedge against my view on the economy, which I do think is deteriorating. All right, so you guys are in agreement. Uh, Weiss, you think this is a bet on a soft landing. Agree, Sarai? Yeah, and, and it's not just soft landing. The demand for copper is increasing increasing every year. And the supply, it's non-existent. We don't have any copper mines coming for 10 more years. So you've got, this is the classic commodity cycle where when it crosses, the price is going to jump up. Now, what Weiss is doing is we're not trying to time it. We don't know when that's going to happen. But if you do get any type of demand growth that's faster than supply, the price is going to go way up and the cash flow over Freeport is going to be huge. Yeah, Freeport Macron also operates the largest gold mine yep. on the world, and just kind of leads us to this one. You recently bought gold, GLD. I bought GLD on Monday, talked about that. Um, I, I, monetary policy, I think there's confusion sometimes from investors where they believe that the best condition for gold is inflation. I think a lot of people think back to the 70s, but it's actually a disinflation trend in which you want to step in and buy gold, and, and gold is responding. So uh, added to the position on Monday, real brief on Freeport McMoran, which I think uh, Stephanie on Monday uh, announced that she had purchased as well. I think what's important to watch out is the aid that the Chinese are providing for the property sector domestically. If they continue to provide that aid, if they continue to pressure the banks in terms of trying to get the uh, property sector uh, to, to recover significantly, that's going to benefit, yeah. obviously, copper demand. That's why I bought it originally before I traded out of it. Uh, but I was wrong. All the easing for that, for Alibaba, you know, it just didn't work. They've got major, major issues. And you, I don't think you can bet on China doing anything positive for the global yeah. economy. But I think that's option value right there. Right. That, that, you're, you're not, not betting on that? You're not paying for it. Right? You're not paying for it. Right? Uh, coming up next year on Half, we got Mike Santoli. He's going to join us with his midday word. Much more halftime back after this. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Mike, taking a look. Looks like the Dow is pretty close to its session highs right now. Yeah, kind of uh, came back from a, a little mild pullback after the opening strength. And, Frank, to me, the, the real theme of today is everybody for months has wanted the market to broaden out and not everybody be crowded into the, the, the huge winners at the top of the NASDAQ. This type of day is what that looks like, um, not just on the index level where you have a lot of the laggards bouncing like bank stocks, like some of the uh, stuff that really got pounded this year and pullbacks in things like Meta and Microsoft and, and Lilly. But even within a sector, I was just looking at the software ETF, the IGV. Now, Microsoft makes up 10 percent of this ETF. The ETF is up 2 percent today or so. Microsoft itself is down 1 percent. So that essentially tells you that people are trying to move money out. To me, the big question is, can this kind of a shift continue and remain painless uh, and sort of allow the market to escape even a routine pullback after the sprint we had higher uh, toward the July high? So to me, that's the the current test of the market as as bonds rally and allow this whole process to happen. 
So, Mike, you just spoke to something we started the show with. The fact that small caps are actually the best performer yeah. as we've seen yields go down below 4.3%. I think they're right at 4.3 right now. Absolutely. So it's small caps, and they just reflect that, you know, the stuff that hasn't worked this year that is more cyclical, that has been hurt more by the fear of higher rates and the impact that was going to have on the economy, coming back a little bit. Now, the gap is so wide in performance uh, among the winners and the, the many losers that, you know, this can proceed for a while and really just be sort of mean reversion and noise in the longer term. So because um, we've had false starts before in this direction uh, in, the, in the last several months, that to me is, is, is where we sit as we also get into some of the, the month-end uh, kind of maneuverings. You don't know how that's going to break either. All right, Mike Santoli with his midday word. Mike, always great to see you. All right, coming up here on half, our call of the day. Piper Sandler says this stock will likely benefit from Fed rate cuts. We're going to reveal the name from our mystery chart coming up next. Halftime back in just a moment. Welcome back to halftime. Let's hit our call of the day. It is Schwab. Shares are higher right now, more than 6% higher. Piper Sandler out with a new note saying that Schwab will benefit from cash moving out of money market accounts and the possibility of rate cuts next year will boost the stock, according to analysts from Piper Sandler. Carrie, you own this one. Yeah, so this is a good move, and the stock is cheap. You know, it's 14 times this year. It's 11 and a half times next year's earnings. It's had a terrible year. The earnings were down 20%. The stock has really suffered in large part because people have moved money out of Schwab's lower interest rate fund into a demand for higher cash returns. Now, if interest rates are going down or stabilizing, that's going to end. So the cash sorting, that's what it's called, may be coming to an end. We've thought that for a while. We believe it to be true. Earnings should go up. They should be up 20% next year, higher, maybe up high 20s the following year, 2025. And the Ameritrade deal, deal which they bought, that's being worked out, and uh, yeah. there's synergy. There. You know, speaking of that, there are some caveats in this note from Piper Sandler. So, number one, they say over the last three years since acquiring Ameritrade, uh, Schwab's averaged $34 billion of cash inflows in December, the last three Decembers. They also say that part of this thesis here counts on a cut in May. So, agree with the cut in May, and do you see a similar pattern shaping up for this December? Well, November could be this December. You know, November was such a strong month that it's hard to replicate an 11 percent, you know, over the last four and a half weeks. I'd like to say it's going to happen, but that, you know, I, I, I'm not a believer that Joe, one month has to Joe, definitely wait, 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 follow the next. I don't need to look at your computer, <laughs> word, but they said the premise is that there has to be a cut in May? D well, that's you know, part of your I, I thesis. Think, yeah. I think the stock it's is not the cheap entire regardless. Thesis, yes, key part you, of the thesis. You know, okay. you, the stock's well, cheap anyway. The, the reality is there's a tremendous amount of cash sitting on the sidelines. If equity markets, if bond markets continue to improve, if the Federal Reserve ultimately is done with the rate hiking cycle, then you could look at exchanges, you could look at Morgan Stanley, yeah, you yeah. could look at Goldman Sachs, right. you could look at TradeWeb, right. which is something we have in the Joe T strategy, look at asset managers, they will all benefit because for the last several years, They've all suffered from outflows. And I did add more to Goldman Sachs. You did add more to Goldman By the way, Joe, pretty incredulous. Bo Ackman said Q1. You're, you're, it's so incredulous about Piper Sandler saying May. No, I just, I just never heard of a, 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 it. You're, you're asking an investor to buy an individual equity name based on what the Federal Reserve might do in May. I, I just, you know. Fair enough. One plus one uh, doesn't equal two there. Weiss, come over to you. Goldman Sachs? Uh, yeah, so I added to it. This is the last shoe to drop in terms of getting out of credit. I'm referring to Apple. 
I like how Apple positioned it, that we're getting rid of Goldman when Goldman's been saying we're going to sever this relationship for a while now and has tried to offload it on others. So look, every management makes mistakes, like we make mistakes in our portfolios. But the key is to recognize those mistakes relatively quickly and then deal with them and move on. And that actually makes you stronger. So I have been adding to Goldman. Again, if what happens, as Piper says, maybe I should have waited until April 30th to buy the stock, but according to Piper, but <laughs> if they do, you know, if the if the government does ease, then of course it's going to work. But more so, I'm feeling better about the IPO cycle. I thought it'd be the last part of 24, the end of it. If we continue to hold where we are, there's such a huge pipeline. That's where the real margin and, is. And it's not just IPO. It's capital markets activity. Right. Right? Right. If interest rates are staying or coming down where they are, you, I mean, you saw M&A today. M&A activity picks up, capital markets okay. activity up, yeah. wealth management. It all interrelates. That's right. such a sweet, lovable side to Steve. I know. Where, isn't isn't it? It? Is, is this why he's on leash? Almost 2%. Like these send them, guys send them on vacation. Here. Coming up, to set up on Salesforce. They have earnings in overtime. Shares popping over 10% this month. Got a lot of ownership here on the desk. The trade next. Don't have time. Back to halftime. Salesforce reports after the bell today shares up just over two and a half percent. Joe and Carrie, you both own this one. Carrie, you first. What are you expecting? Well, we expect the quarter to be decent. They're going to talk about billing growth maybe 12% and continuing to cut costs, so there's margin expansion. This is a company that has gone through an awful lot of, I think, soul-searching, literally, to realize that investors care about costs, and they had to really rein those in, which they've been able to do. They continue to do it. Billings start to grow. There's been softness in software, no pun intended, and you know we're looking for something that points to some strengthening, but the stock's up 70% to date and 14% in the last month. So they have to really post something good for guidance to get the stock moving much higher. Valuation disturb you on this company? No, not really. I mean, it used to be a 60 PE stock and it's 25, but it's not nearly as high <laughs> as CrowdStrike. Carol, <laughs> <laughs> um, since when do you care about that? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just, just, he was being just facetious. Yeah. Simple, simple question. He was, um, th this is a quarter where the expectations are high. I think they're high. They have to exceed the expectations. I think they have to have a contribution somewhere in here beyond just strong margins, beyond just reducing costs. I think they really have to come with um, showing something, whether it's related to Slack or related to AI itself. Yeah. They need a really, really good quarter here to deliver on. All right, Salesforce shares up almost 3%. CEO Mark Benioff on Mad Money later today. Final trades, they're coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. We are back here on halftime as we remember the life of legendary investor Charlie Munger. He passed away yesterday at the age of 99. Tomorrow on CNBC, be sure to catch Charlie Munger, A Life of Wit and Wisdom. That's airing at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. All right, we're now going to turn our attention to final trades. Weiss, you're up first. UNH, look, investor day was today. Uh, they... Uh you know, they reiterated God essentially increased revenue guidance for next year somewhat. I think it's very attractive here. I don't think it's expensive. I think it's new quite well. Surat. Stick with GM. I think you got a catalyst here, so you own it, keep and you could buy it now again. Carrie. 
American Express. It's continuing to benefit from millennials coming into their network, and with lower interest rates, it's good for their earnings. Joe, give me last word. KKR. Uh, Stock is breaking out. November of 2021 highs, I think, are in play. It's very hard to find a financial company where you could say the November 21 highs are in play. This is one of them. Give us a sense. Why, why is it up 6.5% right now? Stock has performed incredibly well off of earnings. They've been active in a lot of M&A and deal-making. Um, operational efficiency, right? That's the story of 23 for stocks. Yep. Quick look at the markets before we let everybody go right now. Taking a look, just a short time ago, we saw the Dow at session highs pretty much there right now. The S&P and the NASDAQ both up just about a quarter of a percent. And that's going to do it for us right here on Halftime. we got the exchange starting right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 